Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast pottering around the magical swamp clogging up the hallway of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who don't actually need the premise of special discounts as incentives to annoy the hell out of Umbridge, but nevertheless appreciate them. My name is Sarah. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, BJ and Spencer. How are you all doing? Excited to be back. It's been so long. At least it feels that way. It has been a little while. Oh, it has been. You know... There have been complaints, Spencer. You don't read the complaints, as my husband will tell you on other podcasts we do, but there have been complaints. Happily insulated from social media in all forms <laughs> at all times. Send me send me an owl. It's the only way you'll reach me. I mean, we, we have to upgrade um, to news, I assume, to actually reach you since it is Florida and lizards are, are the preferred uh, method of message conveyance. This is a valid point, yes. I like I like that a lot. Um, we are on chapter 29 of the fifth book of Harry Potter, uh, Career Advice. Yep. We have some segments that we do here. We have a rapid fire recap. We have BJ's Wizard Wheezes. We have Newbie's Notes with Spencer. And then we award house points. And there are questions and queries and qualms and quibbles, which I'm hoping that the very sad state of my voice is going to make you all be slightly kinder to me. Empathy empathy from us. Well, it seems like you have a restorative potion in your hands. So uh, hopefully by the end of, towards the end of the episode, we'll be able to question and query you all we want. Um, But I am going to start out with a query before we get into anything, as is is my right, because Mm. this chapter is where, where we get... Uh, all of the things. Um, so we usually don't address this because it's usually fairly obvious, but the picture at the beginning of the chapter, now that we've read it, mm-hmm. yes, does it make more sense? It's them, um, I'm, I'm getting back to it, but it's them flying off into the, into the sunset while with, with dragging those broom, dragging those brooms. Well, it's more than... They actually they say specifically sun in, in the story, but it looks more like the moon. Here, but it's it? also like the chained up broom yeah. and... The chain still doesn't make any, like, the physics of the chain still actually do not make yeah, any sense. But, but also, like, is it a head? And what head is it supposed to be that this image seems to be in? I guess it was sort of like the... Oh, that is the... I don't maybe think... Maybe it's I just think sort it, of like a... I don't think it, it is. It accidentally looks that way? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Um, now that you say it, there is a little bit of a sort of, like, silhouette-like... Yeah. But I don't think it's actually meant okay. to be ahead. Sarah, I love that you went through the physics of chain movement. We're in a universe of where the expression a wizard <laughs> did it is perfectly appropriate at all times. Well, this was a complaint that I had on our last episode that you, it's chained in such a way that you could just slide it off. and You yeah. could just slide it off. And it's just like, all right, whatever, guys. It's yes. evocative, BJ. <laughs> Not going for realism here. No. Uh, um, in terms of recap, Sarah, how the hell are you going to pull this off? We go like nine places. Oh, j- no, it's, I, I'm fine. BJ's not going to like it, oh. um, but I'm doing okay. BJ, get, 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 get your <laughs> assessment ready. Um, huh. And so I am, I am going to go for under two minutes. We are getting back into this. Mm-hmm. Um, I am sure that it is under two minutes, but it is after me cutting a good 45 seconds of recap from my first draft of this, so... Okay, well, stopwatch is ready, whenever you are. 
Harry can't stop stewing over what he discovered about his dad from the Pensieve. This goes on for weeks as their owls get closer and closer. Jenny offers to help him figure out how to talk to Sirius. Fred and George offer a diversion to allow Harry to speak to Sirius from Umbridge's office, the only fire that's not being watched. Early the next morning, Harry catches sight of Hagrid limping out at the Forbidden Forest from his dorm window. Hermione spends the day trying to dissuade him from his plans. There's another incident with Snape, and he's flustered and late by the time he gets to McGonagall's office for his career appointment and finds Umbridge there, too. Harry's only career thought is Auror, and it's a tough path. McGonagall explains the requirements while studiously ignoring Umbridge's irritating coughs from the corner. Umbridge finally jumps in to question Harry's temperament to be an Auror, as well as his most recent defense against the dark arts marks. McGonagall finally, speaking for all of us, calls Umbridge incompetent. Then they get back, they get into a back and forth about Harry's quote-unquote criminal record. McGonagall swears to help Harry become an Auror, and Umbridge accuses her of plotting to get Dumbledore in as Ministry of Magic, Minister of Magic so she can have her job. Then there's the diversion. Umbridge sprints off to see what's going on, and Harry breaks into her deserted office. Throwing the flu power... Flou- flu powder in. He sticks his head through the fire to Grimmauld Place. He explains what he saw in the Pensieve to Sirius and Lupin. Sirius insists that James's popularity got him carried away, that uh, they were all idiots at 15, and that Lily never really hated James, just the ego, which had deflated a little by the time they started going out in their seventh year. It placates Harry some, but it... Um, before it comes out that Snape canceled occlumency lessons over the incident. Lupin and Sirius both go berserk. Harry hauls himself out of the fire as Filch comes into the office looking for the approval for whipping. Fred and George have turned a, a school hallway into a swamp and Umbridge is promising to flay them alive, but Fred and George have decided they've outgrown their full-time education. They summon their broom, which escape from where... Umbridge has them locked up, announce the opening of Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes in Diagon Alley, instruct Peeves to carry on and fly out into the sunset. With... 12 seconds to spare. Many, much, much time. Uh, I did, in fact, skip the first half of the chapter more or less. But <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, I'll fill in those gaps Whatever. later. I, I don't know. It's a lot of conversations that we knew were going to happen. Yeah. Like, just a lot of That's true. normal back and I forth. I feel like for um, the next book, I kind of want to make you do summaries under a minute. And you just get penalized oh. for a time over it. <laughs> oh. We'll see. Um. We'll see. Okay. I, I mean, I am open to... We're just experimenting exactly. here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> BJ, we're just experimenting. Um, BJ, what are you wheezing so, about? Sort of surprisingly, there was a sentence that took me out of the book more than most uh, sentences that, that we've ever come across. And I didn't expect it to be here. Because uh, like we've been going on at a fairly good clip of... You know, just very in the world. Um, I think that, I mean, I've talked about it many times before that J.K. Rowling feels like she's really hit her stride in the last book. And, you know, we're, we're mm-hmm. cruising through it. Yes. And we've had a lot of character growth and things like that. I'm trying so hard to predict what the sentence could be thinking back on the chapter. And I have absolutely no idea. I'm so excited. I got nothing. <laughs> and then Fred says, you'll see little bro. <laughs> hmm. And... It's just such a wild departure from everything visiting world, but it feels very on brand for the time that J.K. Rowling was writing this, and it's such of a time and a place that makes absolutely no sense for these books, mm-hmm. and it was just like, what is this doing here? I don't understand. Oh, I breezed over that entirely. That is a very what yep. kid, what cool kids say moment. Yep. Yeah, I do feel like you've gotten, this is the, the intersection of uh, Rowling feeling herself and like Fred feeling himself as they are preparing to exit in spectacular fashion at the end of this chapter. Yeah, it, it was just like, huh, I, I'm pretty sure I know about huh. when this book was written. 
Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I, I also, I would love an updated version where Fred and George are like dude bros. And it's like, bruh. HBO bruh, 2024. Come on now. Call yeah. for it now. I mean, we are getting a series. So, like, I this know. Could, could happen. Oh, my God. What would It would be so funny if they're just like, actually, we're going to have Hogwarts in the suburbs of L.A., Oh my gosh! All the guys are are yeah. bros. All the girls are valley girls, and just just lean into it. Um, it, it it's not the uh, the forest it is now Venice Beach. Um, and, you know, just you know, just go the whole way. It'll be great. Well, listen, Fred and George are going to be small business owners now, which can either make you really great and humble. Or can lead you on a slightly different personality path. I like it. As you well know. <laughs> so, there aren't many, like, super traditional wheezes that I have for this chapter. But there are very fun things that I so appreciate happening. Um, and fill out characters in ways that I we've always expected to be there. But haven't been set mm-hmm. outright yet. Uh, so, I think my favorite moment, maybe in the book so far... From one of my favorite characters has happened, and it just tickles me so much. Professor McGonagall. I should have made my meaning plainer. He has achieved oh. in all defense against the dark art test, set by a competent teacher. She has been Is that McGonagall's music? back for so long, and like we've known it's there, and it's sort of been quiet and, and like she is clearly a teacher to be reckoned with, and it finally is just like, all right. Like you're you're enough now. I, I, I when that line dropped, I straight dropped the book and just started running around the room, just like oh, <laughs> fist pumping, fist pumping. So, going. The cheering <laughs> needs to be here. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was just. It's been coming for a while. It's finally shown up, and it's what I wanted it to be. And, and Numbridge's Perfect. response is just glorious. She can't say a damn thing. She just scribbles more furiously. Yeah. Um. There, there are a couple of other entertaining things that we'll get to later, um, probably in questions, but we have another appearance in this chapter of what we have termed in the past as a Chekhov's gun, and I sort of wonder if it's going to appear again. The knife that will open any door that just, like, come on, guys. Like, are we doing this again? I mean, I guess, but, I mean, if you start just putting all of the things that Harry has together... And use them more than once. Like, it, 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 you'd just be an insane person in, in this school because you just have, like, all of the power to do anything you want. Like, he, mm-hmm. he has an invisibility cloak, a map of where everybody is going to be all the time, or had it, and a key to get in anywhere. And just... And, and time travel. Let's not forget about the time travel. Well, the time travel has been yes. taken away now. Again, they were objects that he had, that if you got to use them more than once, the plot is broken. Too much yes. power. Um, but yeah, it just... Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, but a high second for, for, for best moment in the oh, book is, is obvious, mm-hmm. and but just still has to be said. If anybody fancies buying a portable swamp as demonstrated upstairs come to number 93 <laughs> diagon alley weasley's wizarding wheezes our new premises it has so it is here i i will can i just as like as someone who works in yeah. marketing 
You approve? If I ever could have gotten to to this point, <laughs> said like this is peak. It's peak experiential yes. marketing. That <laughs> um, is pretty great. The the only thing that I'm a little surprised about, and I guess I I've never really understood the division between the two places. They feel a little bit more nocturnally to me, but I feel like that's really. I guess. I, this this really tells me like Nocturnally Alley really leads leans toward like the seedy underbelly of the Wizarding World as opposed to yeah. like because they're more of like the Spencer's gifts they still belong in a mall uh, mm. correct they're yes. not the vape shop that mm. probably doesn't yes uh, I think that's a fair distinction so it disappoints me as the distinction that they make between the two because it's it's a lot more boring. I, I feel like Diagonelli should be like food sweets and stuff that you need for school and Nocturnelli should be like the things that adults are gonna buy where like- See, I think, yeah. I think that the the division is actually really more like dark arts yeah. adjacent or not. Which is very funny because that's where Hagrid goes. Well, he is quite sketchy. <laughs> Evidence bears that out. Um, he has done a lot of sketchy shit, including in this chapter. So, like, we have no idea what sketchy things he has done in this chapter, other than still have the ability to stoke a fire. So, <laughs> um, which is is That's kind funny. of a, a very funny thing. I, I was kind of gonna breeze over this now that you mention it, but. Uh, now that you mentioned it, I feel like we should talk about Harry not understanding anything in the world still, uh, and J.K. Rowling just writing that in. It's just like, well, he made he walked back to his cabin, but I wasn't sure he would be able to stoke a fire because of things. I don't know because I like no one understands how hard it is to stoke a fire. I mean, you can you can use magic to move the sticks. Like it's not like a a, a, a physically taxing thing to do, and I'm sure that there are fire spells, even though we've never seen them. But Hagrid can't, like, can't actually really do that. That is, it is still completely unclear. I mean, he's, what... he's not supposed to do that. And, like, as far as we know, he doesn't really use spell magic with his broken wand at Hogwarts. But he's... Like, on the grounds, we've never seen him do that. There's the yeah. distinction. The first, first thing we ever saw him do was, like, make a fire, right? Or something like that? Yeah. Yes, that's true. Anyway. But, I don't know. I think the I think the idea is simply that he is not so desperately hurt that he couldn't make a fire. Yes. But he did make it back to his house, okay. And that is the easier task. Um I, I, it could. I'm pretty sure it could feed into your... that J.K. Rowling has gone camping once <laughs> and struggled so badly to make a fire she just went to sleep. Was cold. That might be true. Was cold for an evening rather than you know work out those skills. Um, and that does remind me of uh, what Sanderson sort of considers camping, and I wonder if Rowling has the same thing. Um, that camping and sort of slumming it is uh, staying at a hotel that does not have room service for uh, 24 hours. <laughs> I've only ever slummed it. What do you know? I am sure you've, you've been to hotels that you might not have chosen to stay there, but I've, 
I imagine. <laughs> anyway, newbie's notes. Do we have notes for this chapter? Not nothing uh, noted about this chapter. Like nothing, nothing. interesting. Uh, no. Three page, Mm-mm. three pages. Buckle the hell up. Uh, it's interesting. We start that you off... Took notes for this chapter. This seemed to be an appropriate chapter to make somebody else take the notes. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I would. Yeah, Ron's only function in this chapter is to complain about Hermione doing something else other than taking notes. It's literally all he does in this chapter. I, I mean, it, 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 he, the he the opening reflects that. <laughs> Which, to be fair, is something yeah, that he should it, say it, more often. Yeah, sure. Yeah, here, here in the opening, we get all the characters being in role of where Harry's lying to his friends about what happened in the prior chapter, Hermione is seeing through his bullshit, and Ron is taking other people's work and being an ass about it. <laughs> all on point. Uh, only other thing he does in the chapter besides, you know, tell people to chill it is just endorse carte blanche whatever Harry wants to do. This is Ron's role in the books. Yep. Uh, meanwhile, Crookshanks is being the best cat ever and maybe all kinds of nostalgic about my cats from back in the day and that it's doing that classic cat thing of pawing people because it wants to get its ears scratched right now, please. Thank you. Uh, Harry's processing of the conflicting stories about his father is just simply great. Because it's both wonderfully authentic in text for what he would be going through, but also the exact same process that the audience is going through in terms of their own various series of data points from back in the past. Of what we're trying to square the fact that, you know, from what Harry's put together now is that, okay, my dad was a terror. Sirius is an unreliable source. Snape may not be deserving of all the shit I've been giving him, and I may be deserving some of the shit he's been giving me. Uh, despite Harry's best mental gymnastics to try to square that. Lupin was just idle and observing it all, which doesn't square anything he's seen about Lupin before. There is intractable evidence on the subject of Lily's feelings for James that he just cannot work out. And there is an utter and desperate desire for some clarification of the record, which he is willing to risk quite a bit to get. And Harry, I'm with you for that, even if I do agree ultimately that's with Hermione that their plan is just straight up suicidal. <laughs> Building to an absolutely wonderful line in text of Harry pondering... But what did he want to be like his father anymore? Which is just such a massive pivot point from everything we've had mm-hmm. in the text prior to this point. Uh, Jenny is a fast, becoming an increasingly fascinating character for me. Is she's been the, probably only maybe just second to you know our you know Lord uh, our Lord and Savior Neville. Uh, even the character that's been consistently growing on me over the course of the text. Of where she started out is nothing more than background. And now, her role in this chapter is to arrive suddenly windswept. And I love the description of windswept there. From kicking ass at practice, hazes her brother on the subject of how he's doing by comparison, drops off chocolate Easter eggs, <laughs> helps solve Harry's hang-ups with practical problem-solving advice based on a life lived with her systematic scoundrels of brothers, and does all of that in a library violating the rules. It's, it's a hell of a swoop yeah. in to fix other people's shit. And I'm coming to expect that out of this character. So kudos to her. I mean, we do know that she comes from, like, probably the most powerful wizard in Harry Potter. So her mom. Of course. Yes. Correct. As, yes. As, as we discussed, she's doing, you know, the, um, what is it, with the sorcerer's apprentice at all times, at all hours in her house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, BJ, I, I almost expect you to comment on it. You finally got what you wanted. A discussion of the jobs available in the wizarding world. Yeah, but no. Yes. Yeah, you did! <laughs> we got a whole list here. 
Yeah, it, not it's, all of them you can appear work to bank, be working for the ministry. You can be a doctor, and yeah, it, <laughs> I'll, I'll go. Or you can work at many of the ministry jobs. Yeah, I'll, I will go down the list that we get. But it, a, I did love all the little pit. Have you guys ever been to like a job proper job fair before? I have walked. I haven't. No. I, I, I have been, I've reviewed the pamphlets, everything else. These little pithy descriptions are just delightful in terms of talking about what these jobs are. Little like marketing buzzwords attached to them. Like, what was it? Uh, make a, make it, make, what was it? make an explosion or make a bomb for the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes. Hey. But the list we get, we get is a healer at Mungo's. Uh, Mungo liaison, which I love, just is treated with utter contempt in story about... Who, yes. Whoever wants to apply, you you're all welcome. You just need to be very patient with the dumb muggles and yes. have taken something. Some classes. <laughs> can can read, can work. I don't know that uh, reading is necessary. Uh, cur- curse breaker at Gringotts. Uh, mm-hmm. Training security trolls. I assume that's I, I also need to know more Gringotts. about that one. D- wasn't specified, but sure. Not maybe. Yeah. Here. I think that's yeah. the only place we've seen security trolls, though. Anyway. Uh, de- I guess that's true. Yeah, uh, Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes, which I'm guessing is FEMA. It's in universe FEMA. <laughs> uh, and then Aura, which uh, the little bits we get from McGonagall on the subject of Aura are just interesting. Like she just casually mm-hmm. drops that there's not been a single new like was it applicant or hire in three years that she says. I think it's anyone. I think it's yeah. even applicant. Like I think, yeah. Which, unpacking that is just interesting. Is that just the ministry's mm-hmm. position on, you know, minimizing defense against dark arts lessons? Or just the general blinders for the subject of peace? Is it the bru- seemingly bruising academic requirements that go into place? It's the, is it the years of additional training? Is the requirement of having a, you know, a clear criminal record? Is, you know, is that, is that an issue in this world? Not clearly explained, but it's... Maybe it's because, like, Moody has been the poster child oh, for ours well, for so long. Uh, a couple of things. One... You need to do well in potions, which is a high bar. State makes that hard. Two, uh, who has been the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher? And who is going to be an Auror given the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher that we first show up with? I mean, it's been a while since then. True. Yeah. It was an agent. It was a it was a Voldemort agent. Yeah. So. What was his name? Yeah. Quirrell. Quirrell. Yeah. So uh, we're a couple of years out it, of that, but... The legacy of that right, is still but, strong. But we 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 would only have a couple like the the people that would have been applying for the pl- past three years were essentially completely trained by Quirrell up until their like last couple like year or two. So it could be. Well, that's not true. That's not true because Quirrell was only there for a year. Okay. It, it, he was he was new with Harry. Oh, okay. <laughs> That makes sense. Then I'll cite just the inherent instability of the teaching position in terms of interfering with that's student with yes. student growth and, and learning. That's, yeah, that's I know we've true. talked about this before, but who was Dada before Quirrell? Um, I think it was it was still in state unstable okay. before then. I don't remember who it. I can look up who it was, but I think it was already known to be a sort of cursed position. Yeah, that's fair. Before Quirrell, um, so it's a long. It's actually a pretty substantial history of like not having a stable position i think sarah i also i do really love your idea that the they're basically using moody like you know that starship troopers you know career interviewer <laughs> of where it's like you know they put the most brutalized guy out front to just scare off people well also <laughs> that, when do we know when the moody switch happened what uh, moody switch w- when moody was replaced 
when, when, when Moody was, you know, knocked out crouch. and cr- and crouch. Oh, yeah, the summer before he came to okay. Hogwarts. Okay, so not that like right. he would when when there was the whole oh, dustbin dust, dust up. Yes, yes, that yes, was yes, yes. when he was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it was not like before yeah. that. It was for that, that year. Yeah. Uh, I love that Fred and George are just such consistent terrors that the absence of activity from them is itself noteworthy and strategic. Just like mm-hmm. they're they're looking at everybody going, we haven't been doing anything for months. Haven't you been thinking we had something planned? I mean, but also I'm honestly disappointed. Maya, in like you. it does it does track that they are aware enough of other people to not what? like really screw up with people's like studying time or breaks. Yes. And I do love my favorite interaction other than McGonagall and Umbridge in this chapter is I can't I'm trying to figure remember if it's Fred. I think it's Fred anyway and Hermione when when they're explaining that they have been trying not not to interfere with people studying and Hermione is like taken aback by this and whichever twin it is gives what is described as a sanctimonious nod. Yeah. To her, it made me so happy. Now, I frankly love the development we've got out of Fred and George in the last two or three chapters. Is that no? They're yeah. actually remarkably socially aware. They're the kind of pranksters mm-hmm. that exist because they're so aware of the rules and the system and how they can work with inside them. They have been functioning consistently in a world of rules, and now that the rules just don't apply, now that the government itself is not enforcing them in any manner by which they can judge and operate in, their response is. Okay, we're unchained too. Let's see how fun you have with this. Mm-hmm. It's delightful. I just they're they're how they operate now makes sense in a way it never did before. And their pointedly unique way of helping here is admittedly insane, and we will discuss whether it's almost intentionally suicidal. Um, but I can't fault the effort. Uh, uh, BJ, I'll I'll give you absolute credit. The knife being a Chekhov's gun. That was my one profound sigh in the entire book. It's just, oh, right, yeah, they introduced that for the explicit purpose of solving a problem. Understood. This is this is a writing trope that I don't think J.K. Rowling will ever get away from. I had actually completely forgotten that this knife existed until it reappeared in this chapter. Right. And I guess that's, like, I did too. Like, I, I th- I'm sure yeah. we talked about it when he got it, and it was just like mm-hmm. a... Oh, yes, this thing in my position that solves this one problem, I have it. And it's a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's just not, I, it would be so funny if it was a thing going forward. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a tool. Right. But. It, it, plot device is how it's most likely going to work. And he's going to lose it or it's going to be taken from him here in the next chapter and a half. We'll see. Uh, Hagrid, we still don't know exactly what he's doing. We just know that he is bulldog stubborn and that is just what Hagrid do. Uh, I like that everyone is on the same page with Umbridge and the Verita Serum. Yeah. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. It's like, that's just in the world now, is that, yes, she tried to roofie me. We need to keep track of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harry succeeding at potions due to lack of attention is just such a me thing. It's like, <laughs> the sudden realization is, oh, shit, if no one's over my shoulder just trying to screw me up, I actually can succeed at this? It's... I'm with you, Harry. I understand that fully. Please, let me operate in a dark room with no one around. Also, the next thing that happened felt very off-brand. Uh, it, 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 yeah. It, it honestly well, did. Well, the next it's two like, things that happened yeah, it did. felt very off-brand. Snape being one of those? Yes. Um, that was mm-hmm. not the thing that I was referring to, but 
it is like the thing that I was referring to was Hermione, like not saving the potion. Just, it seems like it it seems almost similar to the knife as a plot device. And just like, no, I like Hermione is the type of person to have a personal locker of every bit of extra potion that she has made for her entire stay at Hogwarts put away because she She might need it again. And like, you of course you know would save all of the extra stuff because you never know like she she's clumsy enough that she could drop some and like there's no way that she would take a, a zero because it got dropped or you know somebody else decided to play a Absolutely prank on not. her so like her doing that to, like quote unquote for Harry is I'm with you no this whole incident falls really flat for me I get that they like we needed something to happen with Snape to indicate that like. We're not okay. This is good. This is going to be a thing. But I, this whole thing was just, you know, in a world of very contrived things, um, this one seems I feel, a little totally off. I feel like off. the right tone for me would have been, you have a bait. Bye. Like, just stay. It, it, like, yeah. we're done. That would have been more, that would have been the, the, the more different way of going about things is that now if he's just not even acknowledging, not scourging yeah. you, not, you, you're nothing to yeah. him. You don't you yeah. don't factor on his radar. I think that would have like, been more authentic. Like I'm going to give you a 78. Agreed. And we're never like we're never going to interact beyond this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that would have been a more effective sale because I, I'm with you. The Hermione thing was just weird. That just felt like it felt like an action needed to motivate Harry to do what he then next does in terms of needing to talk with you know Lup- Lupin mm-hmm. and Sirius. Yeah. And then Snape. It's like Snape, you're either better than that or I want you to be better than that. I'm thinking I'm leaning towards the uh, towards the former. No, that. If there's a moment that did not work in this chapter, I'm with you guys. I think I think it was it was mm-hmm. this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of things that did work, I wasn't expecting a cat fight in this episode, but man, did I get one! Uh, just McGonagall and Umbridge throwing down is just dear God, I am here for it. Uh, the sarcasm, the increasingly poorly concealed disrespect. BJ, as you said, building to he has achieved high marks in all the Defense Against the Dark Arts tests set by a competent teacher. It's just. Yes, BJ, but like a cougar fight. Well said. I'm here for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's just absolutely wonderful. I'm running circles around the room. I am a little bit... It's like, one might read this chapter thinking that Harry... That she's pointedly doing this for Harry, but it seems more like, like that Harry just happened to be in the room for the breaking point, because I refuse to believe that Harry is the hill that McGonagall is choosing to die on. I mean, this is also not a class. So, like, I, I feel like this is the... You're over. Not only are you overstepping, but you're interfering in your overstepping. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she's mm-hmm. gotten to the, like the Fred and George part of no, there are no rules. I'm done. Like I'm done. Like you're you're such you are such a paper tiger, and you're annoying now. And and you don't even have interesting things written in you. Yeah, I, I love <laughs> I, I love that Harry's basically just a passive passenger for this. He doesn't even necessarily yes. want her to be up standing up from this point, but. She is done. She needs. She needs. She needs to find something just to poke Umbridge in the eye with. And her choice is Harry. I'm going to carry your ass to greatness, whether you want me to or not. <laughs> this is this is what she's going to be pissed off about. Fine, Harry. I don't care what your will is here. We're making this happen. We are going to thwart that stuffy hussy by any means necessary. BJ, I feel like I can see you doing this with some like random grad student or undergraduate student that you would just like get mad at something in the university system and be like, fuck it, we're going now. 
what, sir? No, no, ride or die. We are in for this now. <laughs> yeah, that 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 tracks. <laughs> I, w- one interesting little aspect to this, though, I find it fascinating that Umbridge's concerns about Gonagall are effectively the same concerns that Fudge had about Dumbledore. The concerns are about, you know, McGonagall's trying to conspire to take Umbridge's position. It's like, this is apparently an institutional category of paranoia that people in the ministry just have. I, I feel like it's an interesting peek into they know they're not the right person for the job and they're kind of, mm-hmm. you know, what's it? Post turtles. Um, <laughs> it's, it's imposter syndrome. Like a turtle's on top of a post. Nobody knows how it got there. No one wants it there. The turtle doesn't want to be there, but it needs help mm-hmm. to not to, to get down from there. Got mm-hmm. it. Yep. I had never heard that before. It's a, it's a fun little image. I like that a lot. Yeah. I'm going to use that in something. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel about the fact that Harry at least has a moderate pang of guilt on the subject of, oh, McGonagall basically just, you know, threatened to end her career for the sake of my advancement. Now I'm going to go commit a crime immediately after that? Should I feel guilty about this? Not enough not to go do it, but I'm going to at least, it's going to register for a half second. I will acknowledge the pang of guilt that I am feeling. Yeah. Um. Once he finally is in the room and the swamp is just forming in the halls of Hogwarts, I do love the immediate concern that Sirius and Lupin have. They don't know why he's calling. They just know that he is yes. taking a serious risk to call, and they are immediately stonely serious on this point. They are both there. They are both focused. Father figures are, are, are available to assist. Um, this is another thing that I, I didn't appreciate while I was reading it because it was right. And it like it doesn't take me out, but like this is one of the few times where things are happening in the world outside of like our main characters, and then they react in the right way as opposed to like the easy way for the narrative. They're surprised. They're like, wait a minute, what's going on? As opposed to, oh, of course you need to talk to to Sirius because they they, they don't understand, right? But. Mm-hmm. And they're more all the more concerned on the base of it. That's a good call, BJ. I'd elaborate that even to ultimately their explanation for James. It's like, in the moment, I didn't find it very satisfying because I almost feel like there was almost an edge when I first read it. They were being flippant of what I thought was a more yeah. serious thing. But then I impacted it. It's like, no, that's kind of how people would respond 20 years after the fact in terms of like unpacking mm-hmm. and analyzing how they were shits as kids. Yeah, and also for them... The question is completely coming out of left field, and it's just like, wait, what? That's what? I mean, yeah, yeah. I guess they didn't just see the video. Are, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they're all. I also feel like it's through a certain lens as well of just rose-colored glasses because they they're missing their friend. It's like they can't think ill of him that bad. They can acknowledge some of the points, but they can never hate him because he's not in their lives anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're more focused on. I love that they were more focused at all of this to just like. Having a little chuckle between themselves, like, oh yeah, he was messing his hair all the time. Was he playing with that little with, with that little uh, snitch at all hours? It's like that—that's what they want to remember. That's the kind of just yeah. pleasant thoughts they still have. They're acknowledging all of the shit, and they're not exactly mm-hmm. putting it under a rug, but they're just framing it in. Well, you didn't get the full picture, and he was our friend, and also who at fifteen isn't kind of horrible. Yeah, and it's all and that's what I kind of like. What I kind of like about the explanation too, because like. I do agree that, like, on the surface, it can feel, when you're first reading it, it can feel a little flippant. It can feel a little unsatisfying as to kind of how they're explaining explaining it. But it is a sort of, like, to me, it's a real 
it's a real explanation because it gets at the sort of like, you know, David Foster Wallace, the sea we swim in Mm -hmm. kind of thing um, that like, yeah, that actually just is everybody sort of shitty at 15. what I, I adore that it was again. I was I was hoping in the moment, just like Harry. And this is just quality writing here. That there it would be some means of tying it up with a bow, or some just straight up acknowledging, yeah, he was a black hat. What are you going to do? It's like mm-hmm. no, he was a flawed person. We're flawed yes. people, even describing this to you and offering a flawed perspective on it. Yeah, they, Snape was straight up abused. And there's nothing we could do do about that. Yeah, it was kind of brushed under a rug because he was likable and he did heroic things. These are mm-hmm. flawed people operating in perfect narratives. And I'm here for it. And I almost hope the book just stays on that. And we don't ever get a neater fix attached to that. Because that's just a very delightfully real world way of looking in this. It's never going to be a satisfying conclusion. Because it wouldn't be. And the other mm-hmm. thing is, they've been working for Sna- with Snape for years now. And so, like, the whole, yeah. what they did as 15-year-olds might have been briefly discussed and put to rest, but... Years since then of new events. Exactly. And so it's just like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that was a thing. And I imagine that Lupin apologized to Snape at some point and did it in a good, heartfelt oh, manner. Yeah. And Snape was was basically like, hey, like, I know you weren't, like, you weren't really the person that did it. It was James and, like... He can't apologize. And so, yeah, like, I I accept your apology. And, you know, we're doing bigger. I don't think Snape said any of that. I think he might (laughs) have thought that, but I don't think he he said any of that. He probably looked away and said, I guess, yeah. What, it, yes, yeah. At least what we saw is that they, they were cold. Well, Snape was cold towards Lupin, but they were still professional. They could work together yeah. from what we saw. Yes. They established and some so element of detente and water under the bridge, even if Snape could never express yeah. that. Yeah, so we have the like in-world evidence that something along those lines must have and happened. And, probably both, you know, help brokered by Dumbledore, who was aware of all of the yes. things and has probably had many mm-hmm. long conversations with Snape about all of these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's fun, though, is that we get their own in, in-universe explanations, which are delightfully incomplete in my mind in terms of just unpacking what occurred. Yep. Because we, yeah. we get James, well, oh, yeah, James always hated the dark arts. It's like, okay, sure, all right. Uh, Sirius wasn't <laughs> proud of it. That uh, Sirius admits they were sometimes arrogant little burks versus Lupin tries mm-hmm. to put a little uh, more of a bow on it. That they were all idiots, Mooney not so much. They actually was able to make them feel a certain measure of guilt. Uh I'm going, get, I'm going to get to the most important one here in a second, but uh, that Snape was always a special case and that the was turned out was fair play and that, look, your father was the best friend I ever had and he was a good person. A lot of people were at 15. The key one I don't think they're focusing enough, though, is that he was always making a fool of himself around Lily, that Snape was yeah. a special case. It's like, are they maybe unpacking the fact that fa- the fact that Snape was a guy friend around Lily may have also contributed to a certain degree to why James was utterly torturing him? Maybe, but also... It seems like Lily wanted nothing to do with any of them up, up until, like, a little bit later on. In- yeah, but, you know, this is the but sort of, knows. like, okay, so 15-year-old guys right. are all idiots. The, 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 the corollary to that is that, like... Snape could have been fifteen year old. Oh, no, I was going to... Oh, no, I was just... Yeah. I was going to say that 15-year-old girls are, like, inevitably going to just be, like pissed at you as a way of being around you. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's fair. But I, I, I guess from James' side, I could imagine it being like, oh, they sit next to each other in, like, divination, and, you know, they, they've talked three times about the homework. 
I must murder him. Right. And and so it's <laughs> like she's just like, what? Uh, what do you mean? It's my guy friend, and he's like, of course it's your guy friend. You've he, he's talked to you three times. He is a rival, and now he must die. I don't know. I think we get a little more evidence in the in the um, memory that there was more going on but, there. Like, I don't think that that interaction would have happened, that Lily would have been in that interaction in the same way. The impression I got is that Lily actually was friends with Snake. Maybe like his only friend, but we got to respect to it. And like, I don't think um, Lupin and Sirius are putting enough weight to that, that that may have been also a key reason of the reason of, of why James was specifically torturing Sirius beyond just simply hating the dark arts or whatever else associated with it. Um, it is interesting how much they freak out on the subject of Snape stopping the lessons. Because that still hasn't been fully yeah. explained in text. Is that they are both hopping mad. Lupin is to physically force Sirius into a chair before he just charges off to Hogwarts right then and there. With them ending mm-hmm. with, there is nothing so important as Harry learning occulency. Someone needs to just tell Harry why. <laughs> Harry's... No one will tell Harry why, Spencer. Until we've got several chapters, until we get to the point at which people tell Harry things. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> as frustrated that that, as in, as in Mirror Reverse, Filch is gleeful on the subject of the fact he gets to whip somebody. The man is... I, I, can, I can picture him just almost vibrating in place in excitement as he charges into Umbridge's office to finally bust out the whipping forms. Because, of course, mm-hmm. there are apparently still whipping forms on campus. Uh, and they got uh, uh, s- switches. <laughs> Man, it is built-in whipping. <laughs> it has it has an aura of whipping attached to it. Genius, PJ. <laughs> Simply genius. Yep. Uh, as for Fred and George's exit, it uh, Sarah's you said it's just pitch perfect marketing right there. How could they just not sell products with that kind of just maneuver? Uh, even flying on off into the sunset, dragging a friggin' chain. What just is just the cherry on top, the icing on the cake, though, is the giver hell for us peeves, and he does an elaborate formal salute <laughs> to them. The, the baton has been passed, and I am here for you, I my lord. I just lawn. love it. <laughs> it. It's such a wonderful exit for the characters. I don't care if we don't see him again for two books. I'm going to remember this going forward. Uh, so with newbie's notes left behind, Sarah, I am left to ask, who, who, who wins the House Cup this chapter? Listen, I we can talk about it if you all want, but I am going for the obvious answer, the answer we end the chapter on. Fred and George win this chapter. In their own style completely. I, hands down. I need I need to put in a mention for McGonagall. Because just... Yes. Peak, oh, yes. This is peak McGonagall. And, like, if, if Fred and George didn't yes. have a... This is probably the high point for their characters. Like... There, yes. there are probably other things... They have to win the chapter. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, they're, they're probably going to do things that are important for the story from now on. Yeah. But not for their character. Yeah. But no, this is this is it. I will say the one thing that would that, that tarnishes McGonagall's shine just a little bit is that she seems to have accidentally saddled herself with Harry <laughs> for years. I, this, this is your this horse? Me so really? Happy. Because I feel like before we started this, you wouldn't have considered shaping Harry up to be an or a a a tarnishing feature of McGonagall. At this point, she is just so stubbornly determined to make this horse ride. I expect the next scene is just her, yep. Harry walks in the room and she's just got straight steroids. It's like, let's go, man. 
<laughs> you know that like off camera after that meeting, she is in her office, head in hands, elbows on the desk. Like, what have I? How have we come to arrive yeah. here? <laughs> I, I imagine there's going to be like, um, an entire like uh, Captain America style like science team that she puts together, and she's like, "All right, we're taking not the lowest of the low, but just not not too much above. Just, like he- we're scraping it. Yeah. Um, but her her triumph in this chapter does." in addition to Fred and George, contribute to the loser of the chapter, who has to be Umbridge, right? It, it is. Has to be. It, 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 driven by the fact of how smug she is before McGonagall finally just pulls off the cloak. Oh, oh, it is a, it is a pride cometh moment. Yes. Yes. Um, and then to have Umbridge just so thoroughly flummoxed by Fred and George at the end of the chapter, oh, yeah. it's just chef's kiss. Give it to me. It, um, it, it again just makes her such an interesting villain of where she is simultaneously terrifying while also being pathetic in a way that is balanced well. And, well. Is, and and this is like McGonagall encapsulated it so well because it is yes, I guess she like she is evil, but it is all based in her incompetence mm-hmm. and in her like um the the like I think the deep wellspring of emotions that that it brings up for her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, she is truly terrible, and I do not want to, I do not want to distract from that. But that comes from a lot of interesting places, I yep. think. Um, questions. Um, is Veritaserum like real world? You know, studying Barbathol, or is it actually you just straight up can do nothing but tell the truth after you take this? It, it, how powerful and effective is it? Do we know? Um, I think it's pretty powerful and I think it's pretty effective, which is part of the reason that like, I mean, it's highly regulated. It's super difficult to make. Like Snape is the only person we know who can make it. Um, but it like, it does work. It's a little unclear if there's like, to what extent you can kind of, if if you, we don't, we don't really. Go ahead. If you believe it's true, do you do, uh, do, do are, are you are you still saying that kind of thing, or is it even cut through to that to the, like the universal accuracy? Yeah, I and it, that's unclear. We don't, as far as I remember, we don't really get much of a discussion about that kind of nuance, and we don't really see that nuance play out. Okay. Does the knife work on room of requirement? I. Mm, <laughs> mm. Well, I'm trying to figure out because like. So there are a couple of sticking points here, right? Because one, the room of requirement, the door appears at particular times, right? And then there's the question of like, even if you used it on the room of requirement, how do you make sure that you're getting to the room that other people have conjured? These are the the difficult questions that I'm here for. These are the difficult questions that are the reason we don't see the (laughs) sign again, as far as I remember. (laughs) Oh God, another one. I, we might see it again. It might be used again later in this book. There are some things that would be useful for later in this book. I don't remember if it's specifically used. I, I honestly, I, and then I don't know if it's used going forward. Obviously, there are lots of things it would be it would be useful for. But again, I had completely forgotten that this knife existed at all. <laughs> it, 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 at this point, and dr- now here it is again. 
at this point to like draw from video gaming logic, we're going to reach like a new game plus kind of thing of where when Harry gets to replay this universe, he gets all of the magical artifacts from the start and just gets to use them throughout <laughs> the entire story and just be God. So the, yeah. the probably really funny part about Harry Potter, and I, I have no idea whether this will be a spoiler because um, I have no idea what's been written on it or whatever, but presumably Harry Potter's child isn't going to get any of the fun toys. And, <laughs> oh God, and, and no. so Only when he it's dies. just like, it's such a funny, like, he'll be telling stories <laughs> about his time in Hogwarts and his kid's like, oh, that'd be super. And, and he's just like, yeah, no. You, 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 no. Uh-uh. Do you still have that, Dan? Uh, no, lost it somewhere. I, no. I also no. uh, signed you up for double divination. Because, um, you know, I think, I think you should just broaden your horizons. Double divination in a lot of Muggle studies. Yeah. I do want to bet that Harry's also going to leave his ch- leave his children with debt. Like you know, he inherited this just massive bank vault full of wealth that he's going to add nothing to over the course of his life. This he's feels not right. Gonna this feels absolutely correct. They're just going to get it a a bill for the safety deposit box, basically. And, and they're just going to be like, like when he dies, that inheritance they're gonna, tax. He's, they're going to get hit with this massive bill and be like, wait a minute, what? And then go in there and just see like piles and piles of hubcap gold pieces and yeah. just be like, why, why have we been living in a small apartment? Like what? And Harry never learned how to spend money. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hermione never taught him about math. And so he never understood anything. And, you know, his, his, you know, wife, his future wife was just sort of saddled with taking care of the kids because he's you know, the R that never learned how to do anything because McGonagall dragged him through it. And, <laughs> you know, he, he, he's uh, he's the chief Wiggum of Aurors. Oh, God. <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, was Phil, did, Has Filch been at Hogwarts long enough that he was able to torture people? How long ago was Hogwarts a hellhole? You say whipping like That's it makes great. it a hellhole. It, 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 factor of factor of i don't um i don't know he seems like he's been there since the dawn of time um it's like is he older than dumbledore but no. <laughs> no but i also like the idea that like i i i like the idea and i think that this is true um that okay so we there there is actually an in text answer to this that is like completely normal that we don't get until two books from now (laughs) um apparently in harry potter and the deathly hollows in chapter 30 of harry potter and the deathly hollows mcgonagall says that filch has been working at hogwarts for a quarter of a century so like he's actually just had a like a regular tenure Mm -hmm. yeah and he has had no so he's never been able to do any of this stuff like let's be very clear he, he he got the job with promising of, with promises of torture, and he's never been able to do it. Never. So I no. do. I know we've talked about this before, and I'm just terrible at remembering all the things. So, why is Filch associated with Hogwarts? Because like he didn't go there because he's a squib. No, because he's a squib. So, but so he very clearly has magical family. Yeah. I mean, I guess it was just like a. Um, I was sort of wondering whether like how squibby are squibs? Like because it's like. Do they do no magic or is it not enough magic? There's kind of, there's a spectrum and some of them are no magic. Some of them are 
are not enough magic. And I imagine that, like, if there is any truth to that mail order quick spell correspondence yeah. course, then it has m- perhaps marginally improved magic of people who have, like, not enough magic. I guess but... my thought was that, like, I could see Filch having gone to, like, a year and magicked out. Like, they're just like, oh, like, or, like, a semester or whatever. And it's just like, a yeah. oh, like, you actually can't, like, we thought you might have been able to do enough magic, and you actually can't. And at that point, there might have yeah. been, like, a whipping or, like, rumors of it. And he was just like, oh, like, I can... This is the revenge. Exactly. Well, but he also might have gotten those because he does have magic right. family. Otherwise, he wouldn't be considered yeah, yeah. a squib. He could have gotten those stories That's from, true. yeah, um, kind of the people around him. Because, like, I like the idea that he kind of magicked out, but we also don't have any evidence that there have really ever been any students who have not had the requisite, who have not, who have gotten into Hogwarts without the requisite amount of magic to really get through. You can fail out right. for other reasons, but the kind of, like, raw magic that you have, I don't so, think has ever Sarah, been. So, just so you know, the reason that I'm here, and this time of queries, quibbles, and questions, is we make up headcanon for Harry Potter that, that, that is <laughs> I, much I, more I do understand that. sense. It doesn't need to have textual evidence. <laughs> I am here... To tell you whether or not you are textually... That's fair. ...plausible. <laughs> and I'm here to laugh at your two's endless wars on exactly this and, subject. And I, I will pay <laughs> as much attention to you as as Ron and Harry do to Hermione when she is also giving <laughs> how much te- textual backup that they have. Fair enough. Uh, I'm actually good on questions. I'll, I will show mercy on Sarah. Any further ones from you, BJ? Thank I, you. I, I think I'm good. I mean, th- this was a... a a revelation chapter as opposed to a like yes. confusing chapter. So uh, yes, I am. Uh, are are we ready for our favorite part of ever, every episode? Uh, Revealing the so picture. So my favorite part of of this uh, part of the episode is making Spencer pronounce the chapter. Oh God. Oh yes. So what? next chapter is chapter thirty. Spencer, what is the chapter? Pulling it up. Oh damn. <laughs> It's not even a long word, Spencer. Doesn't make it easier. I don't. Grop. I don't see what the problem is, Spencer. Grop. 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 Is it, is it grop? Yeah. All right. It is grop. <laughs> I was like, that suddenly appeared. I'm like, ooh. All right. Oh, um, what do you see, Spencer? I, I do- Would you like to describe the picture for us? I am zooming in. It is a pretty dark picture, it so is. it's it uh, is in tough. A small screen form. Okay. It might be uh, difficult. Uh, there, there looks like a Bigfoot kind of creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like. Uh, with an owl on top of it that is either lashed or tied in between what appeared to be like a series of tr- of trees. As if it was either left there or got caught in a trap. This, this feels so get- a little Lilliputian. Yeah, actually. Um, good call. But th- I think the most <laughs> interesting <laughs> thing to me is it's a random owl. Oh, yeah. And I would I was going to point out, like, this is not spoilers, I guess, because, like, the owl is purely artistic license. There is no textual... <laughs> basis for this owl on top of whatever this I'm done I'm done I was promised basis, an owl it is literally in the text but it, it there yes I mean, um it's fun this is a little pollution but done almost like with a feeling of the art style of where the wild things are mixed together I, I don't it does the have wild, a little bit of that yeah <laughs> that, that's a crossover I didn't know I needed oh boy 
Um, I, well, I don't know what a grop is. I don't know what this picture is depicting, but I'm suddenly excited to find out. You can't grop the grop. Yeah, we'll have fun with it. Uh, on that, please. <laughs> Y'all, this, this, this was a fun chapter. I had a lot of fun talking about it, and definitely looking forward to the next one. Bye, guys. Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast. The, oh God, I just complete, hold on. Sorry, I haven't done this in a while now. <laughs> cobwebs, cobwebs. Restart. I forgot I actually have to say the name of what we're doing, not just all of the things around what we're doing. <laughs>